Welcome to The Gospel for Life. Last weekend, we held our annual Reformation Boise Conference, where speakers Dr. Mark Jones and Dr. Cornelis Venema spoke on the theme of In Christ Alone. And we would like to share with you this week a portion of the Q&A session that was held there. If you would like to hear more from this conference, you can view the full conference for free at ReformationBoise.com by clicking on the Reformation Archive link. Please enjoy this special edition of The Gospel for Life. Can the Holy Spirit lead someone to believe in baptismal regeneration? The person, this person in particular seems to bear fruit in repentance, but they cannot see their error in this particular belief. The question was, can the Holy Spirit lead a person to believe in baptismal regeneration? Correct. Well, it depends what you mean by baptismal regeneration, but in terms of the work, person and work of the Holy Spirit, I think the basic point of departure is He's the Spirit of Truth who leads and is given by Christ to the church to lead his people into the truth as it concerns the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And since I'm not an advocate, nor do I believe the Scriptures teach what ordinarily is meant by the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, though that it can take a variety of forms, the short answer, and that's the one I presume everyone would like to hear, would be no. I don't believe so. Mark, you want to add anything? Uh, well, just that, as Dr. Anima says, there's lots of there's different views on this historically, even among Reformed theologians. So uh, you would have to explain precisely what you mean or do not mean by that. But the other thing is, there was another part to that question. Or the person seems to bear fruit in repentance, but they cannot see the error in this belief. Yeah, that's that's important to answer as well because. We're not justified by believing all the correct doctrine. So it's highly likely that all of us are going to believe things that are wrong. I, I know I do. I just don't know which parts they are. <laughs> um, so we mustn't make that error of saying, well, to be properly justified, you also have to give up every wrong belief. Because people take time over sometimes decades to sort themselves out, and that's not how we're justified. So, Amen. Real quick, if I don't ask your question, you guys flooded me with questions, so I have way more questions than I can ask. So if I don't ask, ask your question, it's no personal offense. You guys didn't write your names on it, so you can't take offense. So, Okay, so in your last talk, um, Dr. Jones, you talked about how um, we should view ourselves as those who are united with Christ. What kind of counsel would you give the introspective person who is struggling um, between discerning whether they're just spiritually lazy or they have continued indwelling sin? So it's an introspective person, and they're beating themselves up. Are they just being... How, how would you counsel them? How would you dissect that? I appreciate the question, but I, I don't really think I can answer it and because every question like that comes from a specific person who's 
got someone in mind. So all I'm, I'm not trying to duck out of the question, but I just find that whatever answer I give is going to be a bit artificial because whenever I deal with people, there's no two people that are the same. So what does even introspective mean? Um, is there a good introspection, a bad, bad introspection? Uh, all of those things. So uh, I tend to just think that if a pastor is doing his job and preaching the gospel well and has someone who's suffering from something, they should go to him, get counsel, and based upon their specific needs and problems, they'll be, they should be dealt with maybe over months, years, uh, but to give an answer, it's sort of like, would you give a divorce upon these reasons? Well, it's an abstract situation to me. And every situation that's real, I find, brings with it a whole host of other things. So I'm kind of reticent. I'm, I'm, Dr. Renum has been around a, a bit longer, I won't say a lot longer, so I'll hand this one over to him. I'll take a brief stab at it, though I'm not known for my brevity. Uh, I, do, I jokingly say to my students, my answers are typically long because I'm bound to eventually come to the right answer if I say enough. So you just have to listen for that moment of truth that might appear. Uh, just to piggyback on what Dr. Jones said, it's a pastoral situation, uh, the particulars of which are hard to ascertain from the question. And one thing I do know and try to impress upon my students you may accent or emphasize one or another features of the rich gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, depending upon the nature of the congregants or the believer's particular difficulty. If it's someone who's lacking assurance and is fearful that this indwelling sin or the struggle that they experience, you might direct them to our Lord Jesus Christ and his great work unto our justification and even encourage them in a backhanded way to say this doesn't sound like the sort of struggle that a person would have who is not in Christ and um, have, have legitimate reason to be confident of their fellowship and union with Christ. Maybe, maybe I can clarify the question a little bit more. Is there a way that you personally, either one of you, discern in yourself the difference between maybe being spiritually lazy or indwelling sin that you have? <laughs> well, I mean, indwelling sin leads to spiritual laziness. So I know I am spiritually lazy at times. Uh, it doesn't cause me to doubt my salvation. I'm glad that I recognize I'm spiritually lazy because if I didn't, it'd probably be way worse. So, you know, sometimes I think, you know, Mark, you, you need to not like pray more, but you need to try to cultivate the enjoyment of prayer at some point today. And you, you've been putting it off. And yeah, I think a lot of it is spiritual laziness. Uh, but it doesn't cause me based upon everything else in my Christian faith to then question whether I'm a child of God. Um, so I see no problem. I'm thankful for those moments where I recognize I've been uh, ignoring the Lord. And, and it does prick my conscience. And hopefully I'm able to enjoy the fellowship that I know is, is right. So I, yeah, I don't know if I would say there's a difference between indwelling sin and spiritual laziness. It's just a, one's a manifestation of indwelling sin. 
What are the top two or three things you would tell someone who is being drawn to Roman Catholicism? I'm not sure I could, off the cuff, come to the right answer in terms of what would be the two best things to say. I, I would be interested in asking, you know, what is it that appeals? What's the attraction? And oftentimes, those attractions are uh, people look for a comfort in, you know, we hear this language, Rome, sweet home, or uh, there's a tendency among some within, in recent decades, evangelicals, who are a bit weary with uh, worship wars and the transients. I think it was C.S. Lewis who once said, it's true in the church as it is in fashion. Fashions come, but mostly they go. And they're looking for something that's deeply rooted historically and gives at least externally the impression of having been around for a long time, a stability, a security. But ultimately, I would, I would challenge such a person on obviously some of the key questions, one of which is the question of authority. Who is the, the universal bishop Lord and Savior, Redeemer of the whole, head of the whole church. It's not the pretended vicar of the Lord Jesus Christ in Rome. And I wouldn't put confidence in, ultimate confidence in some sort of ascribing of supreme authority to the church over against the scriptures. Christ uh, cares for his flock and his sheep, and they're known by the principal mark of the sheep hear his voice, and he speaks through his word. The other side, of course, would be the question of salvation, and salvation by grace, based upon the work of Christ alone, and the uh, proper joy and blessing that comes to those who put their trust in him. Whereas in historic Roman Catholicism on the question of assurance, as I said last evening, the long-standing position of the church is you ought not to cultivate, nor will you receive such assurance in this life, unless beyond the word and outside of the gospel promise, you're granted some form of special revelation. And that that's a deadly thing in terms of what it means in terms of ascribing all glory to Christ as the perfect and sufficient Savior of his people. And it's spiritually uh, a desert it's a denial at a particularly important point, what is really central to the good message of the gospel that the church has been given and is called to preach and to teach. Can I just quickly give something less pastoral and thoughtful? Um, I typically find that in my experience, and I've had this, my wife's family is Roman Catholic, my wife came from Roman Catholicism, but in terms of people who are in a Protestant Reformed Bible preaching church who are saying I'm looking to go to Rome, I kind of find usually it's intellectually proud people who are kind of you're almost like wasting your time with them in a sense, you've just got to pray for them like sometimes the intellectual argument is what they are looking for so when I, you try to debate and discuss, you know it's, it's, a, it's a heart there's a heart issue going on there uh, I've seen it with a former friend of mine who was a PCA minister uh, who went to Rome, and now he's, he's just 
on their own feet. You might even be an atheist now. But it, it wasn't like an honest seeking. And I, I think for me, the, the issue is very few of these people who are kind of intellectually dabbling with Rome. It's an honest seeking. There's, there's always something else going on there that eventually reveals itself. So, um, you know, everything that Dr. Venema says is absolutely right about, like, the theology of it all and stuff. But I've just very, rarely come across a sort of honest seeking of Rome. There's, there's something going on there. And I find, like, it can end up being a big waste of intellectual energy for a pastor. Not that we shouldn't seek out these straying sheep. I'm not saying that. But you have to be careful about people who just want to engage you in a relentless pursuit of these games. Um, and sometimes you just have to pray for them and, and, and after you've given your word of exhortation. But you can get caught into a swamp of... <laughs> so, Okay. Uh, here is a comment. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Mark, for that last session on obedience. Um, we'll definitely tell our college kids to listen to it. My struggle is doing good works to be rewarded in heaven. How is that different than Jesus' disciples wanting to sit at his right and left hand in Mark 10, 37? Well, maybe it's not. Um, you know, it, is it... What, is it necessarily wrong for them to have the desire to, to be seated with Christ in glory? You know, I, I'm not convinced that, you know, that's necessarily uh, the motives and, and, and surrounding it. You know, Christ takes issue with who has that authority, his father's authority. But also, are they willing to undergo what is necessary to have that dignity? So the, the, the desire is not wrong. That is where we will end for today. Thank you for joining us to hear this special edition Q&A session with Dr. Mark Jones and Dr. Cornelis Venema. Please join us again tomorrow on The Gospel for Life.